0: Welcome to another edition of Bitcoin Tech Talk. As always, you can find this newsletter at jimmysong.substack.com, where you can get uh, this newsletter emailed to your inbox every Monday morning. All coins are a cesspool. Bitcoin Tech Talk, issue number 264. There was an interesting rug pull recently with a coin called Ila Inu. The coin is like many others in that it was a meme coin combining the island boy meme with the Shiba Inu. The entire saga is an interesting look behind the curtain of what actually goes on with these things as an influencer was given 1% of the pre-mine in order to promote the coin. The drama came in when she dumped the coins instead of holding onto them as she had agreed. Ria, the influencer, made some money unethically, getting a little over 6 figures for a couple of tweets. The record of all the messages back and forth make her look greedy and deflective she's now trying to blame others for her own immoral actions but that's not really the big part of the story what's more the more interesting part of the story is about how all coins like this are managed there's a critical threshold that coin creators need to get the snowball of attention rolling downhill as more and more people find out about the coin there's a natural momentum that builds up where anyone with the coin will shill it hard to get even more people involved. Getting that ball rolling requires a lot of marketing, and these coins use influencers to get there. This is in contrast to the 2017 cycle where there was at least some technical justification for these coins, even if it was utterly stupid like a coin for dentists. The coins this cycle are focused way more on marketing they've really figured out that altcoins really are all about marketing, literally managing the market perception. What this particular altcoin creator didn't expect was that uh, was the influencer screwing them over by dumping early, and that's what's caused the entire blow up. In other words, price and perception go very closely together, and the whole game of altcoins is one of manipulating the public so the perception will cause the price to go up. This is the same game that central banks are playing. Central bank monetary policy all, is all about changing public perception and they use all sorts of tools to boost market confidence. What's surprising about this episode then is that the crypto influencer actually did a rug pull. Had she held on and the coin reached critical mass, she probably would have made a lot, of, a lot more money. She simply didn't have a low enough time preference and probably sold her influence for less than what she could have gotten. The whole mechanic of the all-coin economy is one of ripping people off. The coin creators want to rip off the public, the influencers want to rip off the coin creators. Similarly, central bankers are in the business of ripping off the public, and the government is ripping off the central bank. Really doesn't, it does seem like everyone is a scammer. In a sense, this is due to the human desire to get something for nothing. People rather do less work, and ethics are but a small sacrifice. This is an evil instinct in all human beings, which is why every culture has some moral rule against stealing. Yet in a fiat monetary system, theft becomes a part of the system, and getting something for nothing becomes a normal way to make a living. In other words, the altcoin phenomenon of theft through manipulation of the public is caused by the existence of a money printer. After all, if the government can print money, why can't we? What all coins have unleashed is bringing money printing to the masses instead of having it be a banking monopoly. The only difference is that the money printing is done beforehand instead of afterwards and used to manipulate the public. I've been known to call the central bank-backed fiat monetary system a cesspool of theft, corruption, and cronyism. As this episode has shown, altcoins are also a cesspool of theft, corruption, and cronyism. Fiat money and altcoins have a lot more in common than altcoiners would have you believe. It's Bitcoin that's really different. So I wrote this after this very interesting story of the uh, of that Isla Inu coin. Uh, but basically there was a rug pull and everything like that. The thing that really struck me was that You know, she could have made more money just by holding on to it and trying to get that critical mass going. But she just wanted the money right away. I don't know. Maybe she's in debt or something. Um, And that 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 in of of itself was very uh, strange. Um, But, you know, the coin did pump. And when she dumped it, it dumped like crazy, which is why they need to like sort of keep the liquidity of the coin very, very limited. Um, as a way to manage the price. And this managing of price is exactly what central banks do. They manage the price of their token, which happens to be fiat money as well. Um, And it's interesting to see that the same dynamic is sort of happening in altcoins uh, and being sort of like explored in all sorts of ways. They're just figuring out better and better ways to steal from people. And uh, it it is in a way very fascinating, but also in a way sort of just showing how depraved people can get. Um, and they, they really are sort of like grabbing money from the public by pumping these things. All right, let's talk about Bitcoin. Lisa Nagood has proposed to get rid of the mempool. This, uh, her rationale is that so much of the network communication is to convey unconfirmed transactions. Reducing this load would definitely reduce the bandwidth requirements of a node. The idea is radical and i love that uh, she's thinking about how to reduce this rather costly communication practically mempool fee estimation is the most accurate we have and there's no easy way to identify all miners on the network so i don't know if this can be adopted generally that said, some limited form of this would be very useful for lightning, note, light nodes, say, running pruned. Um, so Lisa Negud, um has uh, thought about this, I think, a lot. And there is sort of like a lot of, uh, you know, communication bandwidth on the network that's happening as a result of the manpool. And her idea is to get rid of it. But then how did the miners find out about it? And she's proposed sort of like another private network. But then... It sort of like sets up like two tiers of nodes and stuff like that. So I don't know if it can be done generally, but I think something like this would make sense in some capacity. Blockstream is pioneering Bitcoin eCash with Minimint. This is based on David Chom's eCash concept, which issues claims against an issuer, but transfers are completely blinded. Sadly, Chaum's DigiCash lost out to credit cards in the late 90s as the payment method of choice, but Blockstream is seeking to bring it back. This is a clever way to add a lot of privacy to the transaction since neither the merchant or the eCash issuer can trace your payment to anything. You do need to deposit Bitcoin with the issuer, however, so there is some custody risk. But the privacy of the transaction itself is very interesting. This is essentially a trade-off between self-custody and privacy, which is not really something that normally trade off against each other. Um, yeah, so very, very interesting concept um, using, uh, you know, e-cash on Bitcoin. So you, you basically would deposit Bitcoin with somebody and they would issue you some e-cash um, and you can spend that e-cash and the merchant can redeem it. And n- neither party actually knows much more than uh, like the the bank that issued the e-cash has no idea what you spent the money on, assuming there's an anonymity set of a lot of people spending their e-cash and the merchant has no idea um, you know, how much Bitcoin you have or can't trace where it came from or anything like that, because they'll they'll just get a credit with the with the mint or um, whoever is the issuer and they'll, they'll, they'll get it back. So it's a very interesting concept and it's sort of like in between self-sovereignty and privacy. Like it's, it's, a, it's an interesting trade-off there. Mercury Wallet is live with their implementation of state chains. They have a pretty slick demo which shows where their focus is at the moment. The idea is that once Bitcoin is deposited to into Mercury Wallet using state chains, you can swap the coins with other users and your utxo will have a different history it's a privacy technique that's rather clever and similar to a coin join they have a 0.5 percent withdrawal fee though so de- don't deposit unless you're planning to keep your bitcoins in their wallet so um mercury wallet is using state chains and they have some sort of form of coin join in that you swap utxos with each other um you know that that are of the same value and that way you you end up with some level of privacy on your transactions because you're inheriting essentially somebody else's um, coin history. So a very interesting concept, a lot of real like privacy sort of advancements that are happening in Bitcoin lately. Uh, lightning btc pay server 1.3.0 is out and it has ln url support this is a natural addition to the product as many people running btc pay already have a domain that they're running under i love that you can now run a whole store strictly on bitcoin with this software digital payments used to always require banks we really can be our own banks now so um, very very interesting that you can be your own bank and so on uh, with BTC Pay uh, and yeah, lnurl will make the QR code a lot smaller and you know allow you to receive uh, in sort of like an evergreen way. Uh, invoices sort of like expire. lnurl makes it so that you don't have things that expire. Basically, Flow is an easy way to open Lightning channels. Flow gives users access to Lightning Pool, allowing them to purchase inbound liquidity. For anyone that has a store, this ends up being the equivalent of a credit card fee, except it's done in a decentralized way. As Lightning gets more adoption, markets like this will get a lot more competitive. So uh, right now, like uh, if you're using a credit card, there, there's a centralized network that takes the fees, um, and you have pretty much like a standard fee of across all transactions uh, for a merchant. It ends up being like 2% for Visa, 3% for Amex, something like that. Um, Using Lightning Channels, it's a lot more market-based because the people that are giving you that inbound liquidity um, give it to you, not for free, but it's it's based on the amount that you're actually uh, getting. And, um, you know, it, it's a lot more market-based and it's not going to all one player. It's uh, it's competitive and stuff like that. So I, I think this is a much better model than credit cards because, you know, it, it's not centralized and you, you have competition. Collider explains how you can hedge risk in a Lightning operation. The idea is that Lightning forces node operators to lock up in Bitcoin, and there are strategies where a corresponding short position in Bitcoin can hedge the position in dollar terms. This way, the operation can still run profitably given the dollar-denominated costs. Much like how we saw mining grow from an amateur thing to a huge business, I expect Lightning routers to do the same no doubt that these financial derivatives will be important to hedge against certain risks for certain such businesses so um the idea is that if you are running a lightning node and you don't want like sort of the btc exposure um that comes with sort of locking up bitcoin there are sort of like hedging strategies that you can use so that um you know like whatever equipment you're running you you have the ability to Uh, run in dollar terms and not get screwed over when Bitcoin drops in price or something like that. So um, it's a very interesting idea uh, because, you know, we don't normally think of lightning nodes as being like sort of like industrial scale where you would need um, sort of hedging strategies like that. But I fully expect that to become the case as the lightning network grows and you do need um, some sort of hedging strategies, and it'll, uh, you know, like re- lightning nodes and routing operators will become its own business, uh, much like miners are today. Economics, engineering, etc. I wrote a rebuttal to a piece put out by the Gospel Coalition on Bitcoin. The Gospel Coalition's article was written by a Keynesian economist, so my rebuttal was mostly economic, not biblical. The argument of the original article was really an argument from authority, so I poked some obvious holes. I would love to publish more pieces like this for a Christian audience, so if any reader of this newsletter has contacts, please let me know um yeah so the the article was really terrible it was something like asking economists like um you know should christians invest in bitcoin and it was all argument from authority economists believe all economists think and stuff like that which uh rank opi so i i wrote uh all of the uh, that article just sort of like uh going through the economic fallacies of that article. Um, But yeah, I I think biblically it makes sense for Christians to get into Bitcoin for like the financial justice, right? Like we got to check our financial privilege. If you're in the first world like this economist is, it's very easy to sort of dismiss the role of the U.S. dollar. But if you're in the third world, you recognize um, the, uh, the role that the U.S. dollar has played and how much financial injustice there has been as a result. Blockstream has activated Taproot on Liquid and AJ Towns has some criticism of the Liquid Network, which Andrew Polstra has responded to. The main criticism from AJ, a core developer, is that there are systematic fragilities because of the proprietary nature of the signing for blocks. Additionally, he thinks there should be a test net for elements so that changes can be tested first. Polster replied that the design of liquid is different and the network would rather shut down than continue in a degraded state. Everything here is worth reading, though some of it may seem a little bit inside baseball. I respect both guys immensely and they have clearly stated positions and perspectives that any reasonable person can understand. Uh, so AJ and uh, Andrew Polstra from Blockstream, they, they were uh, like sort of going back and forth on some of the criticisms around Liquid and their upgrade processes. It, it isn't necessarily about Taproot per se, but it was about the upgrade process and the design of the network. Um, and I, I, I thought both were worth reading. I think Andrew's point that it's, uh, it's a very different design than Bitcoin, where you... Uh, you know it's a it's a decentralized network and you just run um you know liquid is more centralized so you'll you'll have a degraded state when it's not running properly and that 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 was what that was his point um a new paper points out three different attacks on a proof of stake ethereum this would normally be down in the quick hit section but there was a bombshell in the paper so with more than 99.6 percent probability An adversary with 0.09% of total stake is in a position to execute a one rework for any given day. Given all the crazy DeFi contracts that depend on instant execution and so on, this seems like a pretty big attack vector. This analysis confirms how proof-of-stake systems are a complete joke. Um, So 0.09%, like 9 basis points of stake in Ethereum 2.0 is enough. To do a one one-block reorg, um, ninety w- with like ninety-nine point six percent probability, which is absolutely insane that you can reorg a, a block like that very easily um, with with such a low amount of stake in it, uh, and that and you know, like I I I haven't uh, examined the exact math of the paper or whatever, but if that conclusion is true, that's just absolutely insane. Uh, Nick Carter and Sean Connell write a response to Tim DeChant's rather uninformed analysis of Tate Cruz's Texas Flare gas mining proposal. As Nick and Sean show, DeChant completely misunderstands what Cruz is proposing and shows the economic variables that miners are dealing with. As they show, at a certain electricity price, all miners simply shut down as it's no longer profitable to run. Electricity grid operations is something that a lot of the public doesn't understand. And it's purposefully obfuscated by ESG types to enforce a particular narrative. Much like fiat money, this is something we really need to educate the public about. Um, And I I applaud Nick Carter, Ted Cruz, Sean Connell, all of them for sort of bringing this discussion up. Because much like the Federal Reserve, fiat money, central bank backed fiat uh, monetary systems and everything else... Uh, the public just doesn't know how it works so they they just sort of swallow narratives that are given to them by uh, by you know mainstream writers who themselves don't know much either and um you know th- this sort of discussion is very important because understanding what energy producers are doing and how they actually um, operate is a critical part of understanding how it would benefit them we need to understand the incentives first and um, this writer clearly did not Robert Breedlove continues his series on our most brilliant idea in parts three and four. In part three, Robert goes through why gold was so useful as money and how it led to a period of global prosperity under the gold standard. He then traces how central banks were justified by the physical limitations of gold. Part four goes into trade and government. The series is a good framework by which to evaluate all that's going on. So... Um, he, he he's uh, being a little bit of a historian in these two parts and going about how, you know, central banks justified themselves because of the inconvenience of gold um, and how, you know, essentially the implicit argument there is that Bitcoin doesn't suffer from that. Far. It's already convenient. So you don't need central banks. Compass Mining has introduced retail miner financing. They basically allow you to pay for mining equipment over time, allowing people to get in without so much capital and expenditure. I suspect that this is how mining operations will eventually be built out through loans and such. Given that most loans are printed ex nihilo, fiat is literally being used to build Bitcoin. So... Uh, You can like finance your miner now and pay it over time. And that way you can get a return on investment almost right away rather than, you know, um, having uh, like six months where you're trying to figure out if you're going to make a profit and so on. They're sort of smoothing out the profitability curve of a miner so that you don't need so much capital up front. Um, It should be interesting to see if uh, this becomes uh, more the norm for consumer mining at least. Quick hits, Uh, MasterCard is planning to allow merchants to accept crypto. Um, So MasterCard is doing some interesting things around this area. El Salvador keeps stacking. I think they added 420 bitcoins in this uh, latest sort of dip there. Another week, another altcoin sees its hopes dashed. And uh, this was... um, world coin and there was somebody that uh figured out how to do like fake retina scans, so they had to give them out or something like that and, uh another week another smart contract is exploited for a hundred million dollars and i believe this was cream finance or something like that another DeFi contract or something say so it's happening just so often and it's crazy the amounts that we're seeing Some events. I will be in Atlanta for TabConf this week on November 4th through 6th. I am planning to be in London for the Advancing Bitcoin Conference March 3rd and 4th, but there is some possibility I won't be able to get into the UK. The Programming Blockchain Seminar is in Atlanta, Georgia on November 2nd and 3rd. This is a two-day seminar for programmers to learn about Bitcoin. You can apply. Uh, Well, the website is down at the moment, so I'll, 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 I'll have it back up pretty soon. Um, podcasts, etc. On this week's Bitcoin Fixes, this I talked to Emmett Penny about nuclear power. He explained how the public perception and safety record of nuclear are completely divergent, and shows the consequences of policies that have enacted that have been enacted to shut down nuclear. The conversation was enlightening for how nuclear has been deterred by lobbying and not anything in reality. I also read through last week's newsletter. And I was on the Off the Clock podcast to talk about the link between healthcare and Bitcoin, and I talked about the new book with the Kingdom of God Entrepreneur podcast. Uh, my new, uh, the new book is, of course, Thank God for Bitcoin. My other books are the Little Bitcoin Book and Programming Bitcoin. Unchain Capital is a sponsor of this newsletter. I am an advisor and proud to be a part of a company that's enhancing security for Bitcoin holders. If you need multi-sig, collaborative custody, or Bitcoin-native financial services, learn more at Unchain.com. lenda Est, this song is done.